Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Murder Mile, the true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk, featuring many of London's untold, unsolved, and long-forgotten murders, all set within one square mile of the West End. Today's episode is about David West. Two David Wests, in fact. A father and son, with Dave Senior being a self-made millionaire, and Dave Jr. being the future heir to his empire. And yet, it wasn't greed which ruined their lives, but a strange and very familiar love. Murder Mile contains satire, as well as upsetting details which may make the uneasy go err, as well as realistic sounds, so that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 42, The Death of David West, by David West. Today, I'm standing in Ormond Yard, just off Piccadilly Circus, one road west of St Albans Street, where Greta Hayward narrowly missed being the next victim of the Blackout Ripper. One tube stops south of the murder or suicide site of film star and boxing champion Freddie Mills, coming soon to Murder Mile. And oddly, we're back in the same street and the same building where the bungling assassins of Russian dissident Alexander Litvinenko left traces of highly radioactive polonium-210. Situated at the rear of German Street, a haughty little back street famed for its pointlessly pretentious art galleries, dusty musty bookshops, expensively bog-standard bistros, and a slew of bespoke tailors who'll fawn over you if you're famous, suck up to you if you're a soap star, with a need to have their lips surgically removed from your anus if you've ever been on telly. And yet, with locked doors, alarmed windows, and their noses perpetually set to snooty, the second you walk in, they're more likely to call the cops, if, like me, you're nothing but an unknown cretin. Hmm. Whereas Ormond Yard is just a yard, an off-street, a dead end. And being barely 250 feet long by 15 feet wide, with an odd mix of nondescript buildings... It looks more like a service entrance to a chain store than a posh place to plonk your bot. But that's the point. As although these million pound pads are full of actors, writers and designers, it was here, in the middle of Ormond Yard, on the evening of Friday the 12th of December, 2014, that a gregarious, loud and gauchely dressed self-made millionaire called David West was brutally stabbed to death by his own son. Born on the 14th of March, 1944, in the struggling market town of Romford in Essex, David John West 
known as Dave, was raised in poverty. As after five years of wartime rationing, and with eight years of starvation and malnutrition still to come, back when tap water lacked purity, savings were a rarity, and fresh fruit was a scarcity, Dave lived in a drab grey world, devoid of colour, health and wealth. Stuck in a hand-to-mouth existence, weak with hunger, shamed by his threadbare clothes, and limited by a basic education, although he came from nothing, Dave was determined never to be poor ever again. In 1962, as an ambitious but unskilled 18-year-old, Dave enlisted in the British Merchant Navy, where he sailed the seas to far-flung regions of the East and West Indies. And although his stint was brief, it peeled open his eyes to a new world of opportunities, lit a raging fire under his feet, and fueled his desire for travel, money and food. But first, there would be fruit. Returning to his roots, Dave ran two market stalls in Brentford and Romford. And as a larger-than-life character, whose loud shirts were as gaudy as his fruit, who dripped in the tacky gold chains and sovereign rings of a poor man who wore all of his wealth, but had the ever-expanding waistline of a rich man who ate well, drank heartily, and never let anything go to waste. Working every hour of every day, Dave was a natural-born entrepreneur who was determined to be a success. In 1969, age 25, being recently married to his pregnant wife, Kathy, Dave opened a small cafe in the Belgian village of Zeebrugge, serving chip butties and greasy fry-ups to the throng of British day-trippers who flocked to the newly built ferry port with empty bags and bulging wallets, eager to stock up on cheap booze and duty-free fags. And although it started small, it was here that an empire was born. Being a business which began in a caravan, by the mid-1980s, having relocated to a vast warehouse in the larger ferry port of Calais on the French coast, Dave had opened Europe's largest British-owned cash-and-carry, which sold budget booze in bulk, cheap fags by the bag, one-pound bottles of wine, and quickly made Dave a multi-millionaire, who was hailed as king of the booze crews. Life was good. Dave was rich beyond his wildest dreams. With a vast business empire, a £2.5 million house, a Rolls-Royce, and a wardrobe, full of bright pink suits, crocodile-skin shoes, and chunky gold chains. He was married, happy, and healthy, with three lovely children. His firstborn was a boy, who he named David, after himself. And although he was eager that his son would enter into greatness, having inherited his empire, even though Dave Jr., was deeply devoted to his dad. His notoriety would be as his father's killer. Born on the 21st of August 1970, David West Jr., known as Little Dave, was a spitting image of his father. Squat, sweaty and spud-headed. But a good lad with a big heart. And unlike most millionaire's sons, he wasn't spoilt, rude or nasty, and never took anything for granted. As with a lot resting on such a tiny set of shoulders, just like his father, little Dave would learn every nuance of the family business from the ground up, with lots of heavy lifting, long hours and very little pay. As a deliberately difficult and deeply divisive figure, Big Dave was described in a myriad of different ways. To some, he was a maverick 
a rebel and a troublemaker. And to others, he was brash, flashy and crass. And although some men might take those words as an insult, to Big Dave, who courted controversy as part of his keenly crafted image of an Essex Barrow boy turned business tycoon, this Big Dave saw as a compliment. And always, at his side, through thick and thin, stood his beloved son. In 1999, Kathy and David's 30-year marriage ended in divorce, when the 55-year-old pink-suited, gold-chained and mullet-haired Lothario started an affair with a blonde French waitress, 31 years his junior and a full four years younger than his own daughter. And although the family were devastated by the breakup, by his side, no matter what, was his son. Big Dave didn't give a shit about what anyone thought. He was his own man, a self-made millionaire with no one to answer to but himself. And as he worked hard and played hard, the richer he got, the less he cared. He lived by this motto, my money, my rules. And if you didn't like that, tough shit. In May 2005, the father and son team opened their first nightclub called Hey Joe in the basement of 91 German Street with a back entrance at number 67 Ormond Yard. It was tacky, gaudy and vulgar. A true assault on the senses, an affront to decency, and an insult to good taste. With mirrored walls, pink frilly booths, red velvet sofas, urinals shaped like lips, gold-plated taps modelled after his own erect penis, and sexy waitresses dressed as naughty nurses, all serving his own brand of house wine, smuttily titled with labels like the dog's bollocks, and manage But Hey Joe was just the way that Big Dave wanted it. And as a stiff middle finger to the stuffy, stuck-up Mayfair club scene, Hey Joe quickly became a success and was swiftly followed by several more venues, including a lap-dancing club called Puss in Boots, a strip bar called Mandy's, a nightclub called Pigali, and an equally gaudy restaurant above Hey Joe's called Abracadabra. By 2007, heavily aided by his loyal and devoted son, David West Sr. had amassed a vast cash and carry empire, several West End nightclubs, a personal fortune of over £100 million, and being listed in the Sunday Times Rich List as one of Britain's wealthiest men. Big Dave was on top of the world, with nowhere to go but down. In contrast, when Big Dave lived in his luxurious £2.5 million house at number 8 Ormond Yard, right next door to Hey Joe, when he wasn't working, which was rare, his son lived in a modest, two-roomed flat above the nightclub, which he rented of his dad. When Dave Sr. was worth £100 million, Dave Jr. was paid a paltry wage of just £500 a week. And as his father neared retirement age, Although his son had dedicated the bulk of his life to their business, Dave Sr. saw his 35-year-old business partner as nothing more than a little boy. Although it is said that he truly loved his son, as a father, Dave Sr. was not a big softy full of cuddles, kisses or kind words, or even encouragement, advice or support but was a firm believer in tough love. And with Junior having never received a thank you 
well done, or heard the words, I'm proud of you, being eager to prove his worth, little Dave knew that their next venture would be his biggest test yet. Just above Hey Joe, on the ground floor of 91 German Street, with its back entrance at number 67 Ormond Yard, stood Abracadabra. But this would be more than just a fancy West End restaurant. This would be another Fuck You by David West to high society and the establishment. Everything about Abracadabra was deliberately wrong, ludicrous and deeply offensive. And just like Hey Joe, this 150-seat restaurant was a monument to bad taste. As in Dave's eyes, there was no such thing as bad press. Described by one reviewer as like eating an overpriced McDonald's in a brothel, Abracadabra served everything from the finest Russian caviar to cheap slop like pizza, pasta and burgers all of which was swigged down with all kinds of posh plonk, from a £29,000 bottle of Cristal to a £20 bottle of Blue Nun, which diners digested amongst a decor so gaudy it was impossible not to puke. Everything in the restaurant was either Harlequin-themed, mismatched or out of place with burly doormen dressed as court jesters, chairs spray-painted gold like lavish thrones, table lamps designed like sexy legs in stockings, a giant Santa Claus carved from chocolate, and every square inch of wall crammed full of images of naked ladies, like there'd been an explosion in a teenage boy's bedroom, as well as love booths, prick taps, lips pissers, and tables which flipped over to reveal kinky S&M bondage gear. But this was just the way Big Dave wanted it. And although unconventional, Abracadabra was a roaring success, and having sweated, wept, and bled over the restaurant, little Dave felt that he had done his dad proud. But if he was, his dad didn't show it. As a man who always got his own way, age, ill health and an excess of alcohol had made Big Dave both bitter and belligerent. And whereas, after 30 years of working together, Junior still believed that they were a father and son team, but in truth, he was treated less like the heir to the empire and more like the hired help, who was there to be used, abused, insulted, humiliated and ultimately sacked. Big Dave was a drunken bully with a short fuse, a quick temper and a vicious tongue. And although he was never physically violent, for every hour, of every day, for what would become four and a half decades. He belittled his son, branded him a failure, poured scorn on his every success, and most hurtful of all for little Dave, his own dad deemed him a disappointment. And after too many years of slogging his guts out, earning a pittance and ending a long day by carrying the bloated 25-stone comatose bulk of his paralytic papa to bed, as he was too pissed to climb the stairs. Soon enough, the pressure, the pain and the hurt got too much, and little Dave walked out. One year shy of his 70th birthday, Although he was too proud to admit it, Big Dave was a mess. He was alone, frail and broke. And after half a century of heavy boozing, reckless spending 
and with the world being five years into an economic recession, Mandy's was struggling. Pussing Boots had shut. Pigali was sold. His entire cash-and-carry empire had collapsed. And like two giant garish leeches, both Heijo and Abracadabra had brought Big Dave to the brink of bankruptcy. And as much as he hated his dad, for the way that he had been treated and for what his dad had done, his son still loved him. And needing to save his frail and feeble father, one year later, little Dave returned. But nothing had changed. The last bitter battle of the two David Wests occurred on the afternoon of Friday the 12th of December, 2014. Ormond Yard was deathly quiet, which was odd, as being the second to last Friday before Christmas, the garish Harlequin-themed restaurant should have been a buzz with pissheads at office parties, but the street was ominously empty. And with no lights, no tree, and no tinsel, just a depressed doorman dressed as a jester who stood guard outside of the bright pink facade of Abracadabra. Although such a striking image was designed to be shocking, bold and silly, as if a six-year-old girl had defaced an old pub with a tin of pink paint in tribute to My Little Pony. Now, it just looks sad. Inside was no different, as nine years on, with its paint peeling, its decor drab, and much of its sparkle gone, although a slew of tacky Christmas tunes played. In this garish eatery, there was no festive cheer, seasonal joy, or high jinks. In fact, the only spirits were those consumed in abundance by both Davids. It began over a set of missing keys, only they weren't missing, they'd just been misplaced. And by 4pm, as Big Dave drunkenly scolded his son for something which wasn't even his fault, a furious row erupted. And having necked back the best part of a bottle of vodka, as the fat bloated man in the garish pink suit sat on a gold spray-painted throne and spat hurtful curses like failure, leech and useless at his boy's tearful face. With never a thank you, those 45 years of hard work came to a crushing end. As David West Jr., heir to the Empire, was sacked by his dad. Being heartbroken, hate-filled, and hurt by his hero, as he slugged back several whiskies, Junior began to pack his bags, as for the very last time, he would leave his flat, his future, and his father forever. Just shy of 6pm, Big Dave had drunk himself into a senseless stupor, and as the bitter alcoholic rambled and seethed, thinking it best that he sleep it off. His assistant, aided by a doorman jester, carried the former king of the booze crews home. From a window, one floor above Abracadabra, little Dave spied a pathetic sight, as the fat stumbling legs of his frail and feeble father buckled under his sweating and wheezing bulk, as even with two aides, this intoxicated, selfish mess, who was once a self-made millionaire, struggled to stagger even a few feet. And seeing his chance, little Dave decided to have it out with his dad once and for all. Strangely, although the back entrance of Abracadabra was a garish pink eyesore, just to the left, at number 8 Ormond Yard, 
Although this was where Big Dave lived, the house was uncharacteristically bland, all brown brick, bare wood, and a flat front. And as little Dave pushed open the stylish dark green front door, on the bright white carpet, at the foot of the stairs, in a crumpled mess of pink and gold, it looked as if a clumsy drag queen had dumped a bag of trash. But they hadn't. That was his dad. As little Dave stood there, looking down at his once great hero, lying slumped, drunk, and comatose in a creased and sweating heap on the floor. Although this frail old man was totally defenceless, inside his son stirred a bubbling rage, as forty-five years of hate, abuse, and humiliation spewed to the surface, as a history of hurtful words like failure, leech, and useless bounded about his booze-addled brain. Big Dave gasped, his bloodshot eyes popping wide, as a ten-inch kitchen knife was plunged deep and hard into the billowing rolls of flab in his thick, fat neck, slicing open his caustic throat, which too many times had scorned his son, and as little Dave retracted the blade, it severed his jugular vein. And then, Big Dave gasped again. As still being angry, his spurned son stabbed the full length of the stainless steel blade deep into his father's flabby chest. And like a shocking piece of garish art in one of his truly tacky nightclubs, he left the handle sticking out, embedded where once his hero had a heart. With his last breath, David West Sr., crawled into Ormond Yard, and as a pink-suited man with a ghostly wide face, lying in a sticky puddle of red, before too long, he was dead. Conflicted by a cocktail of revenge, remorse and regret, little Dave called the police and confessed to his crime by stating... I would like to admit to a murder. I've just killed my father. And although, as the tearful man was arrested, being clearly racked with a mix of guilt and glee, he couldn't help but admit, I'm glad he's dead. But the thing is, I should have kicked the fuck out of him before I killed him. On the 1st of September 2015, the trial was held at the Old Bailey, and although blood was found on his clothes, his fingerprints were on the knife, and 45-year-old David West Jr. had confessed to the police, in writing, that he had killed his father. He pleaded not guilty to murder. On Monday the 9th of November 2015, prosecution accepted a plea of being guilty of manslaughter on the grounds of loss of control and diminished responsibility. And in a relationship between father and son, which was described as toxic, the recorder, Nicholas Hilliard QC, stated, It is clear you suffered from verbal abuse and aggression from your father for many years. David West Jr. was sentenced to 13 and a half years in prison. He will be out in 2028, if not sooner. And of the £100 million fortune, by the time of his death, David West Sr. had just £131,000 left in his bank account. And although he began as an Essex Barrow boy, who'd become one of Britain's wealthiest men, having blown the lot, his empire, his estate, and his son's inheritance was now worth nothing.
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. A huge thank you goes out this week to my new Patreon supporters, Haley Clark and Louise Clayden. Thank you, Haley and Louise. I hope you have a fabulous week full of joy, wealth, health, and happiness. And of course, another episode of Murder Mile. Mmm. Murder Mile was researched, written, and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult with No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Murky Milers. I've decided to call you Murky Milers because you stay into the murky bitter end. If you like that, let me know. Um, it was going to be Mucky Milers, but that <laughs> that sounds like a kind of a dogging thing. Um, if you don't know what dogging is, uh, don't Google it. Whatever you do, don't Google it. Uh, murky Milers. I thought it's a, a nice name for everyone who stays to the bitter end. So. Uh, um, Hope you enjoy that. It took me hours to think it up. I had to hire in a creative team. Cost me a couple of hundred thousand pounds. Uh, and we all brainstormed it for hours. And actually I didn't. I just came up with it just just then. Literally just came up with it then. Ah, a cup of coffee, nice and cold. Uh, so this is Extra Mile, the waffly bit. Uh, no sound effects except you can hear a chaffinch outside. It's just started up uh, and the train in the background i'm in the middle of nowhere at the moment it's quite nice um just finished the bank holiday in britain so obviously we, we had uh well unless you're a podcaster and you work every single bloody day uh, which is what i do uh, in britain you meant to have saturday sunday and the monday off this is the tuesday where i am now was full of like little plastic shitty little oh, awful boats families bashing into my boat it was really frustrating but it's it's Tuesday morning, just after the bank holiday, and it's nice and quiet. No one's out. Uh, for regular listeners of Murder Mile, you would hate it here. There is no coots. We're in a coot-free zone. I know. Maybe they've been booted out. Maybe they've been sent off. Maybe they got. Maybe they're on the holidays. Maybe that's what coots do in the summer. Maybe they go to the beach. Maybe uh, Mr. Randy Coot is currently sitting on the beach wearing a little pair of speedos. With a windbreak, and he's trying to eat a sandwich, but there's bits of uh, bits of uh, sand blowing into his sandwich, and it's going all crunchy. And as he's walking along the beach, he's going, "Oh, this is nice soft sand." And then he steps in a dog shit, and it goes between his toes and goes, and he goes, "Oh God, that's why I hate going to the beach." That's British holidays for you: <laughs> sand in your sandwich, dog shit between your toes, and wind, wind and rain. 
so <laughs> I'm waffling. This is so yeah. No, I'm in a nice part of the world. Uh, the little boat is just uh, just moored up. Uh, it's nice and peaceful. Uh, so I'm just doing extra mile. Uh, I thought I'd start. Uh, by saying a big thank you to everyone for your kind words uh recently everyone's been really great uh loads of people have left me lovely messages which which really does help because it's quite a lonely job doing this so it's it's very nice even just people just saying hey i enjoyed the episodes uh so it's all been very nice people have left lots of reviews itunes has shut up it really has it was like it's almost doubled in about the last month which has been great everyone's left little reviews or, or even just click the button that just says five stars and then they've left which is great it really does help so thank you for that sorry i got burpees again keep getting burpees um and i just wanted to say a big thank you especially to everyone for your kind words about the glindor michael episode um originally that was going to be my episode one for season two um because i really like the story but i was very worried about it because obviously it's not your usual murder mile episode because obviously it doesn't contain a murder it doesn't contain a murder doesn't contain uh, a murder victim doesn't contain a perpetrator doesn't contain a weapon do you know there's no motive it's kind of it's none of the elements are there but i i, I believed in the story i believed in the glindor michael story and i thought it was fascinating and i've known about it for years and always wanted to tell that story but i thought yeah you're probably not gonna like it so that's why I kept putting it off. I kept putting it off every week. I was like, no, maybe next week, maybe next week. Uh, so it was going to be episode one. It ended up being episode ten or something like that. Or actually, no, it's episode. Technically, it's episode forty. Forty? Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm right. Um, so yeah, but everyone seemed to like it. You really seemed to enjoy it, and um, it made me very happy. So uh, yeah, and it was something very different from Murder Mile as well. It was very. It wasn't your usual thing, so uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, that's given me more kind of confidence to kind of try different experiments. So that's what I'm doing with these episodes now. Is is what I don't want is it to become predictable, which is why I've taken away at the end of each episode where I used to tell you what the next episode was called. Now I don't because firstly I don't know what the next episode is because I have a lot already kind of rehearsed and not rehearsed re- researched and drafted but i don't know what's next literally uh, as i'm as i'm kind of finishing as i'm like uh i'm recording this one now i I still am not too sure what the next episode is going to be so i'll work that out this afternoon um so uh yeah the glindor michael one i just kept putting off and putting off but but now it's give me the confidence to say yeah i can just keep trying different things and that's what i want to do i want to throw you off slightly so um so obviously last week's episode was the Charlotte Street robbery. So it was a kind of a robbery with a murder hidden in there. But that was the kind of idea with that one is that is that a lot of people focus on with with the Charlotte Street robbery. The fact that it is a um, it changed the British legal system forever. But everyone forgets about the little guy in there, the um, Alec D'Antiquis, who was murdered, which I think is more important and the struggle of his family. Uh, so yeah, I'll start throwing some more of those in. Um, you seem to enjoy it, so that's good. Um, story about the two David Wests. Uh, this is one of our more recent murders. Uh, obviously, because the murder happened in 2014 and the case was in 2015, there's no archive file for this, and there won't be until probably... This could be 2090... I mean, the judge hasn't put a, a, a date on it yet. It could be, it could be a hundred-year case. So it could be twenty-one, twenty-one fifteen. Of which I probably won't still be alive by then. Uh, I do like ice cream, so uh, probably not. Uh, it says no archive file because uh, it's quite a new case. Uh, but luckily, David West Senior, Big Dave, I'll post some pictures online for you so you can see what he looks like. Hopefully, I've described him well. Big, fat, sweaty man. Uh, who, with a love of wearing bright pink suits and gold chains, and yeah, he, he I, I hopefully that sums it up. But he was a man who courted controversy all of the time. He loved it. He loved the. He loved being in newspapers and on TV shows, and he had a lot of critics who would love to rip him apart because not only was he garish and quite vulgar, but it's the establishment. The establishment don't like it when 
the kids establishment tend to be kind of posh kids who go to posh schools and get cushy jobs they hate it when um a poor person or someone from uh, the working class background works hard and works their way up instead of being given money and wealth as most of them were you know they hate it when someone works hard when someone really works their ass off so they actually a lot of people in mayfair resented david west because because he was because he worked hard uh, and as much as people didn't like him, he was a deli- deliberately yeah, deliberately divisive figure. Um, uh, he did work hard. He was a hard worker, but he was a hard man to like as well. Uh, so that became really useful. There's a lot of articles uh, in various newspapers and uh, um, dotted around that tell you a lot about uh, David West Sr., but not very much about David West Jr., the man who would kill him, his son. He was very much a man in his father's shadow. Uh, so there's not a lot known about him. So this was very much kind of... Um, I told David West Sr.'s story... David West Jr.'s story through his father. So all the way through this story, what I tried to do was have David West Jr. in the shadows. He's always there. He's always hiding... Uh, hiding or being hidden by his father's largesse. Um, so... I hope you enjoyed the story. I, I I thought it was quite interesting the the whole father and son dynamic. There were some things that obviously I, I removed from this story. Not too much that I removed on this one, but um, so obviously at the the start I mentioned that Hey Joe uh, had become a favourite haunt of various Russian businessmen in London because obviously even though it was a Harlequin themed restaurant, uh, for some reason they decided that much of the food in there would be Russian food. And I don't know about you, but when I think of exquisite cuisine, I don't really think of Russian food. You know, there are some, like, uh, let's be honest, Some you think exquisite cuisine, you don't think British either. But you'd probably think French or maybe Italian or something like that, but you just wouldn't think Russian anyway. That's, I think that was part of their thing, that they wanted to be garish and shocking, and they would go, we've got exquisite cuisine and it's Russian. And everyone goes, ooh. I think it was just an excuse to have oysters and caviar and champagne and vodka and that kind of thing. Anyway, Hey Joe uh, opened in... It was in uh, 2005 to 2006. Um and the in two thousand and seven, so it hadn't been open too long. The establish that establishment featured in the investigation in the assassination of Alexander Litvinenko, which I mentioned at the start. If you haven't listened to it, that's episode twenty on Murder Mile, and it's uh, Alexander Litvinenko was a um, uh, a Russian dissident. He was quite quite critical of uh, Vladimir Putin and. Uh, basically everything that's going on in Russia and and the way it's kind of there, there is no control there's no freedom of the press or anything like that Litvinenko was a, a great critic of Putin's he moved to uh, England uh, as a journalist started doing lots of work and he ducks outside uh, he eventually was a noisy duck as well um, he was uh, eventually poisoned uh, they put uh polonium 210 which is a highly radioactive uh poison into his tea and he drank the tea he only had a couple of mouthfuls but within a couple of days he was dead it's a really horrific death um they tried a couple of attempts uh it was andre lugavoy and i can't remember the other guy's name but they were trying to kill him they met up with him a couple of times tried to pour polonium 210 into his tea they were really awful assassins although they're meant to be some of the best if you listen to the story episode 20 they left polonium all over the west end it's it's on everything some rooms have literally been um they tried to decontaminate them but as far as i believe some of them are still shut uh, and it was found on seats and cushions and in hey joe uh which was the 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 nightclub downstairs uh, below Abracadabra, it was polonium two ten was found everywhere in there. Only small levels of it, but enough. And David West Jr. He he, you know, most people would have shut up about it. Most people would have been like, "Oh my God, you know, there's radioactive waste found in my restaurant." But David West was like, you know, uh, joking about it, having good fun, and he even uh, is quoted in the press as saying, "We came out with a glowing report." Ha 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 ha! Uh, as there were only uh, low levels of uh, radiation found, 
but still radiation. Um, uh, now, even when David West was uh, going downhill, actually, no, this was a start. So just before, around the time that he was, um, that he was, he'd amassed a hundred million pound fortune, and he was one of Britain's wealthiest men. Um, in two thousand and six, in Britain, the smoking ban had been brought in. Now, as I said before, David West Sr. liked to be quite a divisive figure. He liked to uh, he liked to flip the middle finger to the establishment. He didn't like to be told what to do. Um, and this is this is a good example of exactly what he was like. So, in two thousand and six, the smoking ban had been brought in in the United Kingdom, which basically meant you couldn't smoke in any uh, restaurants or pubs or public public areas uh, inside. There were very strict laws about it. I used to smoke back then, um, and it was weird. I remember it coming in. It's like bars used to be thick with smoke, and then all of a sudden one day it was like click, and there was no smoke in bars anymore. But you all you could smell was sweat and farts. It was really disgusting. It was. I mean, I, I quit smoking not too long after that, and it was a uh, yeah, good day, good good time to quit smoking. But it was weird. So all of a sudden, uh, it was the summer of 2006. I think it was August. I remember being in Edinburgh, and it was no one could smoke anymore. Now, David West was a big smoker. He loved smoking. He always loved smoking, and he hated the fact that no longer could people smoke in restaurants. So he decided that he was going to buck the trend. He was going to flip the mid-digit to the establishment and the government. And he was going to say basically a big old F you to the smoking ban. And in his west, in his restaurant, after the smoking ban, you could go in and the waitress or waiter would say, do you want smoking or non-smoking? And you could go to whatever section you want. He hadn't partitioned it off. He, it was just he was going for it. But because he was a divisive man, divisive man he'd hired... Um, Basically, a QC, Queen's Counsel, who's one one of the top lawyers in the country. Basically, if you are charged with murder, you there, there is a QC who looks after you, who is basically your defence or your prosecution. They are the QC. They are the, the biggest and most expensive lawyers in the country. Uh, Queen's Counsel. Uh, it used to be King's, King's Counsel in the days when we had a king, but we have a queen, obviously. And the one that he hired deliberately to fight his case against the smoking ban was a lady called Sherry Blair. Now, that might, name might not ring a bell to anyone outside the country, outside of the United Kingdom. But Sherry Blair was uh, the wife of Tony Blair, who was our former prime minister. And in 2006... Tony Blair was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and he brought in the smoking ban. So that's exactly what David West was like. He was going to fight the smoking ban which had been brought in by Tony Blair, our Prime Minister. And to combat that, he hired Tony Blair's own wife to do it. That's exactly what he was like. He couldn't just hire any old lawyer. He would hire the Prime Minister's own wife to counteract government government rules and legislations so that's exactly what he was like uh, very divisive loved being in the papers loved causing up a shitstorm hence why all of his restaurants were so garish but and yet interestingly when you look at his house um i've put pictures online i've put a little video as always so if you go to uh murder mile discussion group on facebook or my website there's always a blog on there with a transcript or Instagram, or uh, uh, etc., etc., social media. There's a video on there. I'll sh it shows you the street, which is Ormond Yard, which really, honestly, you'll look at it and you'll go, that really does look like a um, a place where trucks would deliver stuff to stores. It really does. It looks vague and empty, vague and empty and just odd. And then I've had to put a picture on there to show you what... Um, abracadabra originally looked like and when i say it looked like a six-year-old girl attacked an old pub with a, a pot of pink paint in tribute to my little pony you will entirely you'll get you'll go yes i entirely get that it's a that is a i think that's one of the best descriptions i've ever said of a place and that was abracadabra but when you look to the left of it number eight which was david west senior's house it's bland it really is bland. It's literally a three-story building with brown brick on the second, first and second floors. Uh, to anyone who's an American listener, when I say first floor, I mean 
it's ground floor, first floor, second floor, not first floor, second floor. It's ground floor, first floor, second floor. So, um, so the first and second floor are brown brick, and then on the ground floor is basically a, a garage door, which is wood, very plain, and then a kind of dark green, quite elegant front door. It's got a kind of an Edwardian feel for it. It's got kind of a silver kind of knocker on it and, and an ornate number eight. And it looks, it's simple, but stylish. And it's exactly how it was in, in uh, David West's day. And you look at it and you go, it doesn't make sense that someone so garish and vulgar with all of those, everything that he projected into all of his restaurants, which was vulgar and shocking and rebellious. And yet he lived in a place which was so understated it's uh, have a look at the video and you'll go hmm are you sure that's the right place and yeah i'm absolutely right it's in in fact the first time i walked down the street because in most of the reports they never said where david west senior lived i don't know why the press do this they have a habit of not putting the the numbers down so they'll say uh they lived in a house on Ormond Yard, but it's like, what was the number? Tell me the bloody number. And they didn't. So what I had to do, I had to go through all the texts of all of the different documentation. And it was literally piecing it together of where David West Jr. lived. They said he lived above Ab Abacadabra. I found where Abacadabra was, even though it wasn't really listed anywhere. I managed to find out the exact address. I, I found an old picture and I put them side by side. I'll put the pictures online for you to see. And then you could see... Uh, the forensics tent where David West had died just outside his house and the number that he'd walked out of, which was number eight. So uh, I like doing my little detective work of ma matching up pictures and just going, ah, oh, there it is. And uh <sighs> keeps me entertained. Uh, so uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, so uh, just prior to the murder, so David West Jr. at the time um, was... He had a girlfriend called Victoria Lockwood, and they were living in Felixstowe together. So Felixstowe is on the south coast. It's a very nice part of the world. Uh, I've got a lot of friends who uh, got to move from London to Felixstowe, and they're having a great time. Um, lovely place by the coast, nice big beach. You can't blame people for living there. It's absolutely lovely. Uh, but he texted his... David West Jr. texted his girlfriend... I can't work out exactly what time it happened, but it look, looks like it happened just after the second argument between the two David Wests. And he texted her to say, a lot of people need sorting out and it's going to happen tonight. And that was the last thing, thing he texted to her. Uh, and then he stabbed his father to death. Um, one thing that I deliberately left out of here because it throws it off, but a lot of people seem to reference it on various cases, is one of the... Uh, neighbours on the street uh, was obviously Mr Stephen Fry uh, host of QI TV series in Ameri in, in uh, United Kingdom uh, Americans may know him probably he was in a couple of films uh, used to be a partner with uh, the, the, the now the world famous Stephen Fry he used to be part of Fry and Laurie one of my favourite comedy double acts of the 1980s um, now he's a neighbour there he lives he lives on that same street on Ormond Yard and he told the reporters I was at home on Friday night when I heard these horrifying screams and wondered what was going on. The emergency service services were desperately trying to revive him, but were unfortunately unable to do so. I saw them place a cloak over him after he passed away. It's an absolute tragedy. There we go. There we go. Um but apart from that, there were very few witnesses that that night. The the club was mostly empty, but a lot of people heard the argument going on. And even uh, her name was Oksana, and she was uh, David West Senior's assistant. And she recorded the second argument that they had. So she was one of the primary witnesses in court, and she played the, the full uh, argument uh, to the jury. Uh, now, obviously, we can't get access to this case. We can't hear what they actually said. So this is just... I've had to piece this together through fragments that we've heard uh, about the case itself. Anyway, I hope, hope that was good. hope that was interesting. Uh, we've got a question uh, from a, a loyal listener. Ooh... Uh, and the question is, obviously, I, uh, each week I say, if you have any questions, just message me. Just uh, tag them with like Q&A and I'll put them into each episode. Uh, you can ask me anything you like. Uh, a message from uh, Hayley Clark. Oh, 
this is amazing. I've no idea how I, I know what's in her head and what question she's going to ask. She messaged me. Um, and her question is, what's the best way to bump off your boss? Mm. Um, now, uh, <laughs> uh, I thought I might tell you a little story here, if I may. It's a true story. Um, and this this happened to me. The guy wasn't really my boss, but he was... He was senior to me. He was a bit of an arsehole. I'm not going to say what company it was. I'm not going to say when this was because it might give it away. But ever since I started working to, for that company, he used to treat me like a piece of shit. He really did. I don't know why. He always treated me like a piece of shit. He was a massive bully. Every single day was just, just attacking me. Not physically, but just, just nah, 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 having a go at me. Everything I did was just treat me like a piece of shit. And I really hated him. But... What I wanted to do was kind of get my own back on him. But obviously, you know, you can't do a lot. If someone's senior to you and you're you're basically I was a nothing in the company. I was like on the lowest rung. I was I didn't even have a contract. So it was like, what was I going to do? So I thought, you know what? I'm going to start I'm going to start messing around with him, but I'm not going to let him know that <laughs> that I'm doing this. I'm going to keep it discreet. So what I'd start doing was uh, I wanted to make him think that he was going slightly mad. And so um, so he uh, sometimes he'd, he'd uh, leave the office and leave his uh, computer open. So I'd start when if he if he was halfway through a document, I'd start writing things into the document, but writing it as gibberish or, or putting in things that he he looks like he'd written in there, but clearly he hadn't or he'd make him repeat himself. So he'd reread it, having already checked it, going, hang on, why does it say that there? Or just move things around. Uh, I started going in and going into his diary and putting things in an hour earlier. So he'd turn up to meetings an hour early and just he'd, he'd, the entire day would throw himself off. And because he'd put in the things himself he would go why why is this happening and it's constantly happening it wouldn't ruin his job it wouldn't mess up it wouldn't cause him any problems but it'd just be one of these things where he'd be stuck somewhere for an hour and he's thinking why am i here what what why did i do this uh i started moving um there's a lot of documents uh that we uh thick documents i'm trying to not describe what they were <laughs> um, and he'd have bookmarks in various kind of books and things like that. I would deliberately move the bookmarks so he, when he'd come back after lunch to re, re go to go back in to where he'd started, he'd go, "I've already read this page." <laughs> Just kind of things like that. I'd leave little odd post-it notes everywhere as well. So whenever he'd open a document, there'd be an odd post-it note in there saying something really strange or innocuous, nothing threatening. But just things that were just off kilter that just wouldn't make any sense at all. Uh, oh, I had a lot of fun. Uh, like he would plug in his phone uh, to various plug sockets. I would move those around. So at the end of the day, he'd come to unplug it and he'd go, where the fuck? Is and then he'd realise it was on the other side of the room. <laughs> just little things like that. And it just kept him kept him on, on his... Um, it's made him feel very uncertain. So I, I didn't do anything to make him uh, uh, kill himself. <laughs> although it was little things that wound him up and he never knew it was me and it was just fun I just things that I kept doing uh, I like things like that uh, I throw in another little story as well I used to live with a guy years ago I used to live with had loads of flatmates I had one, one flatmate who was he was a nice guy but the problem is he liked he liked really crap music so do you know all that crap yeah, only idiots listen to that crap music. Um, <laughs> and every day when I come in from work, he was always on the ground floor. That's where his, his uh, room was. And he'd be sitting in the room by himself, but his music would be <laughs> like really loud and shaking the walls. And it was really annoying. And I'd come in and go, do you mind turning it down? He'd turn it down a bit, then he'd turn it back up again. And he wasn't, he wasn't an arsehole. He just liked his loud music. But he did. I don't think he understood that you could buy earphones. Uh, and asking him to turn it down just wouldn't work at all. So one day I was walking into the house and he got the... Mm, 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 mm. Um, and I thought, OK. So I crept into the house really quietly. I opened the front door, closed it really quietly. And I crept up to his front door. And his front door was just slightly open. And I... I peeped through the crack between the door and I waited until his back 
was turned. And then just as he turned his back, I walked right up behind him and went, Rah! and screamed into his head like that and then laughed and uh, walked away going, ah, like that. And he turned down his music just a, just a little bit because uh, he didn't want me to do it again. And then interestingly, the next day, his music was still up. So I did it again. I came up behind him and went, Rah! like that. Third day, his music was really down quite low. I think he knew that I was going to come in and I was going to do it again. And then and then even when I was in the house, he didn't turn his music back up because he was always worried that I was going to creep in behind him. And after that point, he never had his music up. So um, there are little fun things you can do. You don't you don't have to bump someone off if you don't want to. But if you if you if you despise someone, there are really interesting ways in which you can really F them over. Um, now, if you have a boss that you don't particularly like, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying that you should kill, kill someone, but obviously all bosses have a bit of an ego to them. So the, the best way to get rid of them is to use their own ego to kind of uh, go against them. So you can if you, you can do this if you want to. If you want to bump off your boss and not get caught for it, I'm not saying that you should do this, but tell them that they look slimmer when they drive faster simple things like that so placate their ego so what you want them to do is you say oh do you know when you drive fast you look really great it makes them want to drive faster so they're more likely to have an accident and kill themselves Uh, not that you want them to do that but they can do um tell them that new tires are for losers (laughs) especially when they're driving fast say say that the fashion this week is to have bald tires as opposed to grip um or or maybe tell them that um of all of the richest people in the world all of them have baths whilst listening to a radio that's plugged in. Simple things like that placate their ego. They're all vain people. Or maybe do, maybe tell them that um, uh, mercury uh, gets rid of wrinkles. Most bosses are idiots. It's uh, uh, They will all fall for it. God, this makes me want to release my book. This really is my, my the book that I wrote that I've mentioned many times before, which has never been released. Oh, this is what the book's all about. It's not about murdering your boss. It's about it's about it's about working environments, and it's about it's about how to get away with doing nothing, and it's about how bosses get away with doing nothing, and how that how they can be assholes, and they can, how they can get away with that. Hmm. God, maybe oh, maybe in a year's time, maybe I might re- release it. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll release it to Patreon supporters. <gasps> Or as a prize to eager listeners of Murdermal. Maybe I might do that. I don't know. Um, uh, oh, I was just going to say about the Charlotte Street robbery. Um, now, that was last week's episode. I don't know how it's gone down yet because this is Tuesday. It doesn't go out till Thursday. Um, um, and it was a bugger to re- record. I'll be absolutely honest with you. I'm normally... Uh, with my episodes I'm normally I try to be about a week to two weeks early at the, so I was at the start of the season but obviously all of these episodes used to take six days they're now taking eight to ten days the Charlotte Street robbery took two weeks to make that it may not sound complicated but I wrote it uh, I recorded it I edited it I was doing my final checks before it goes online because I always do a final check to make sure that there's no little mistakes in there or, or you know, glip, glips or cl- kind of mouth sounds that I hate. Ugh, I hate things like that. Um, and as I was listening to it, it do you know, you, I, I, I stepped away from it for about two days and then I'd gone back to it and was uploading it and I, I listened to it and I went, oh, no, and I realised I'd made a mistake. I'd made a, a big mistake in the story and it's nothing that you would have noticed but it would have annoyed me for a very long time. So I had to go in and rewrite it. Uh, rewrite it, re-record it, re-edit it. So the Charlotte Street robbery took like an extra five days on top of everything else. So I'm now very behind. So <laughs> Patreon, the Patreon supporters who got the Charlotte Street robbery episode, normally I upload that a week before, you got that episode literally as I'd finished it. I literally was like, right, upload now. That was Monday. So, uh, yeah, I'm slightly behind at the moment. So um, I'll definitely be taking a season break shortly. I'm not too sure how many more episodes I'll do in this in this stretch. Probably another. I think I've got another five to do. Then I'll take three weeks off because I need to do research for the uh, the multi part series that we're going to do. 
um, which will take us to February. Uh, but I've got three extra mile episodes which will go in, which I've already planned, and they're going to be exciting and fun. They won't be waffly. They'll be a bit waffly. Um, but uh, there's some interesting things that I'll throw in that. So that, that'll be good fun. It'll be a little change to the season as well. Uh, I think these mid-season breaks are really useful for me. They really help me. And that means I can go to the National Archives and sit down and do some serious research, which is what I need to do. Uh, so, oh dear, having a good stretch. Oh, that was good. Oh. Uh, so that was episode 42, The Death of David West by David West. Uh, and we will be back uh, next week, unless I cock up again. Um, and hope you enjoyed that. Murky Milers, that's the Murky Miley, Murky Miley people. Um, I'm going to end this episode with a song, I've decided. Yeah, I'll do that. I'm going to end uh, this episode with the lyrics from the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, my God, yes. How do I remember that? It's still in my head from all those years ago. Uh, if anyone remembers the song, you're welcome to join me in singing it. If you're in a public place, this would be so funny if you started singing this for no particular reason. So after three, even if you can't remember the lyrics, go with it. OK, it's the end of the series, OK? It's the bit, we're going to sing the bit where do you remember when they're all waving at the end and then Granny's there waving and she gets really tired and she has to start holding her hand and she's flopping it around like it's, it's broken. Uh, so here's the end lyrics to the Beverly Hillbillies. Now it's time to say goodbye to Jed and all his kidding. Or they would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. You're all invited back to Magnus Week to this locality to have a heap big helping of their hospitality. Hillbilly that is etc hope you enjoyed that we'll be we'll be back next week with some more nonsense uh thank you murky milers speak to you soon Ta-ta! hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.